0: Senate will both return Monday and stay in session through Thursday. Next week on the House floor, they'll return Monday with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to consider 24 bills under suspension of the rules. 16 of those bills rename post office buildings. On Tuesday, the House will consider H.R. 2639, the Strength in Diversity Act of 2020. On Wednesday, the House will consider H.R. 2574, the Equity and Inclusion Enforcement Act of 2020. Then the House will take up seven bills under suspension. On Thursday, the House will consider H.R.S. 908, condemning all forms of anti-Asian sentiment as related to COVID-19. And they will also consider H.R. 2694, the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, and then they'll be done. Last week on the Senate floor, the Senate came back to work on Tuesday, September 8th, and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Brett H. Ludwig to be a U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Wisconsin. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm him to that position. Later Wednesday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Christy criswell Weigand to be a U.S. District Judge for the Western District of Pennsylvania. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nominations of Hala Y. Jarboe, To be a U.S. District Judge for the Western District of Michigan, Thomas T. Cullen to be a U.S. District Judge for the Western District of Virginia, and Diane, I'm sorry, Diane Guharati to be a U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of New York. On Thursday, the Senate voted to confirm Jarbu, Cullen, and Guharati to those judgeships. And finally, on Thursday, the Senate voted against invoking cloture on S-178, the vehicle for the Senate Republicans' so-called skinny coronavirus relief bill. The measure fell short by a vote of 52 to 47, with Senator Kamala Harris of California not voting and Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky crossing party lines to vote with the Democrats against cloture. We'll talk about this in greater detail in a moment. And then they were done. Next week on the Senate floor, the Senate will come back into session on Monday with the first vote scheduled for 5.30 p.m. That will be a roll call vote on cloture on the nomination of Mark C. Scarcy to be a U.S. District Judge for the Central District of California. Then, based on the majority leader's cloture filings, I anticipate the Senate will consider the following nominations in the following order. Stanley Blumenfeld to be a U.S. District Judge for the Central District of California. John W. Holcomb to be a U.S. District Judge for the Central District of California. Todd Wallace Robinson to be a U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of California. David W. Dugan to be a U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of Illinois. Stephen P. McGlynn to be a U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of Illinois. Ian D. Johnston to be a U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Illinois. And then Franklin Ulysses Valderrama to be a U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Illinois. To counting illegal immigrants for purposes of reapportionment, on Thursday of last week, a special three-judge panel of federal judges ruled that President Trump's order to the Commerce Department not to count illegal immigrants for purposes of reapportionment is unlawful. The panel for the Southern District of New York ruled unanimously that the order violates the executive branch's, quote, constitutional responsibility to count the whole number of persons in each state and to apportion members of the House of Representatives among the states according to their respective numbers, unquote. The three-judge panel declined to rule on the plaintiff's charge that the president's order was unconstitutional, saying such a ruling was not necessary. The judges also said the Commerce Department should continue to study whether or not it would be feasible to determine the number of illegal immigrants in each state in case their ruling were to be overturned on appeal. The ruling could be appealed directly to the Supreme Court, though I expect the Trump administration will do just that. The Department of Commerce has said nothing definitive on the subject since the ruling was announced Thursday. And now to coronavirus relief. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell brought a bill to the floor on Thursday, hoping to show that he could muster at least 51 votes for a so-called skinny coronavirus relief bill. The bill included a $300 hike in weekly unemployment insurance benefits through the end of the year and a reinvigorated Paycheck Protection Program, allowing for a second draw of loans for businesses. That program would have used almost $150 billion in unspent funds from an earlier coronavirus relief bill. The bill also included $105 billion in funding for K-12 schools and colleges and universities, along with new scholarship programs intended to support school choice efforts. It also included liability protections for businesses, schools, and healthcare providers. All but one of McConnell's Republican colleagues stood by his effort. Rand Paul of Kentucky, who says we simply do not have the money on hand to be able to pay for these monstrous bills and therefore will not vote for them, stayed true to his word and even voted against cloture on the bill. All the Democrats who voted, voted against the bill. So now House Democrats have shown that they can pass a $3.4 trillion bill through the House, and Senate Republicans have shown that they can muster 51 votes for a $500 billion bill in the Senate. And that means what, precisely? Absolutely nothing. House Democrats cannot force the Senate to take up and pass a more expensive bill, and Senate Republicans cannot force House Democrats to take up and pass a less expensive bill. So for now, at least, we've got a standoff, and neither side looks like it's getting ready to blink. The White House, meanwhile, seems to think it can get Senate Republicans to move off their number and toward $1.5 trillion. Given that Senate Republicans just showed they'd back a bill at no more than a third of that cost, I don't know why the White House thinks they can get $1.5 trillion, but that's Mnuchin's number. On the House side, the so-called frontline Democrats, that is, the 30 Democrat freshmen elected from districts that President Trump carried in 2016, are, if media reports are accurate, getting a bit itchy. They don't like this game of chicken, and they are taking their concerns directly to Speaker Pelosi. Rather than sit there and do nothing, waiting for Senate Republicans and or the White House to cave, they say, why don't we House Democrats pass standalone bills, like an extension of unemployment insurance benefits or an extension of the PPP loan program or something simple and targeted like that. That way, at least, it'll look like House Democrats are trying to do something for their constituents. But Speaker Pelosi is having none of it. So it actually looks as if we may get all the way through the election without voting through another massive we-can't-afford-it coronavirus relief spending bill. Now to government funding. A week and a half ago, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi revealed that they had come to an agreement to use a short-term continuing resolution to avoid a government shutdown at the end of this month. What we do not know is how long the CR will last. Congressional Republicans seem to want the funding to last through the middle of December, while their Democrat counterparts seem to want the funding to last into early next year. Democrat Senator Pat Leahy of Vermont, the ranking member on the Senate Appropriations Committee, has introduced a CR that would last until March of next year, but he's been told by his committee's chairman, Republican Richard Shelby of Alabama, that that will just not do. Both principals said they wanted a so-called clean CR, meaning they don't want any extraneous measures tied to it. So for now, at least, it looks like they're going to try to pass a CR without appending onto it any coronavirus relief measures. And finally, the Woodward book. On Wednesday morning of last week, Washington Post reporters Bob Costa and Philip Rucker posted online a blockbuster story taken from their Post colleague Bob Woodward's new book about President Trump, rage, which revealed that Trump had deliberately downplayed the severity of the crisis the nation faced with the emergence of the coronavirus earlier this year. In early February, Trump was telling Woodward in on-the-record interviews, quote, you just breathe the air and that's how it's passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. It's also more deadly than even your strenuous flus. This is deadly stuff, end quote. At that time, Trump was telling the nation that the coronavirus was no worse than a seasonal flu. He was saying the coronavirus would soon disappear, and he was insisting that the federal government had everything under control. More than a month later, on March 19th, Trump admitted to Woodward that he had deliberately minimized the threat. Quote, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down because I don't want to create a panic. Unquote. Democrats and the media predictably went nuts. Trump did not seem phased. Asked that day if he had misled the public, Trump responded, quote, I think if you said, in order to reduce panic, perhaps that's so, unquote. The book is based in large part on 18 on-the-record interviews Trump gave Woodward between December 2019 and July of this year. By week's end, Woodward himself was under attack from critics who slammed him for not revealing back in February and March that the president was playing fast and loose with the truth. He responded that as long as the public was informed before the election, he thought that was fine. And that's our Washington Report for this week.